the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Radio for Real Life with Sean Ozaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you. Find the real life you were created for, but find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today, well, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year with a special message of hope from Pastor Sean. Many people today have a view that we're living in dark times and they carry with them a dark perspective. Yet the message of Advent is a message of hope. This message is called Finding Hope as seen on the sermon page at reallife.org. It's time for Radio for Real Life. Is there a, is there a better picture of expectation? than pregnancy. I mean, think about it. The anticipation, the hope, just the waiting, but the waiting with an expected outcome. I mean, it's uncomfortable. It's painful, but there's always the promise. Now, imagine going through the discomfort and even the pain of labor with no expectation of a baby. That's a picture of futility. That's a picture of despair. And I have to say, there's all kinds of people who walk through life without a hopeful expectation. And that's what I want to talk about. I want us to talk about hope. You know, we use that word a lot. We throw the word hope around. I hope you get that new job. I hope the baby's healthy. I hope I get the promotion. I hope the marriage makes it. I hope the Lord heals her. We've all used that word over and over. You've probably used it this week. You've probably used it today. I hope. But do we ever stop and think, well, what does that mean? What are we really saying when we say, I hope? See, hope comes with a vision. It's an expectation for something better. Honestly, an expectation of better days. And I just, up front, I have to tell you, you right now are looking at one of the saddest creatures in all of God's creation. And I don't mean a pastor, although we've got to rank up there somewhere. Um, I'm talking about a Chicago sports fan. Well, that's right. I'm a Chicago sports fan. There I said it. And I have to tell you, I did something this year. I don't usually do it. I don't usually go here. But um, I drank the Kool-Aid when it came to the Chicago Bears preseason. I did. I drank the Kool-Aid. You know, we, I, I looked at last season, and we had one, there were some games. It was not a great season, but there were some games that were so close. I thought, we're right on the edge, and we had a good offseason. We picked up some great free agents. We did well in the draft. I'm just like, I really was excited. I did something I, I have never done before. Uh, because you can't get Chicago Bears preseason games here, I went and purchased a little package where I could watch some preseason games. Now, if you know anything about NFL preseason, preseason games, they're not worth watching. I mean, the starters, the primary players play like for a few minutes and then it's, you know, just trying everything's out. It's really a glorified practice. But I was so into it. I was watching and the expectation was through the roof. And then the first game happened. And I do have to tell you now, in fairness, uh, because I thought God was all over this. A good friend of mine is a, he lives in Houston. He's a Texans fan. And the first game of the year 
for, for the Bears and for the Texans was against one another. He bought two tickets and called me and said, hey, you want to come to the game with me? I got two tickets, Bears, Texans. It was a sign from the Lord. I was like, oh, you know, this was it. Everything that I'd hoped for was going to come true. I was going to go to the game. And so I did. I went to the game. And I, I got to tell you, the first half, we were awesome. We did the things that we were supposed to be able to do. Everything was working. We went into the half, and we were not supposed to win this game. We were not favored to win. But we went in at halftime, and we were up. And I'm just like, my poor friend who bought the tickets, he's sitting between me and, by chance, by, again, God's grace, another Bears fan. So it was a horrible day for him, horrible, you know. But then the second half came, and somehow the Texans woke up. J.J. Watt became J.J. Watt again. And poor Jay Cutler, um, if there's anybody who should be on your prayer list, Jay Cutler, I would hope, would be someone who would be on your prayer list. Jay Cutler got sacked multiple times, you know, had an injury or two. It was terrible. And then we lost. Okay? But it was still, it was just the first game, and we still had that first half. Well, then the second game of the season comes, and we played the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, well, let me tell you, halftime of that first game was the highlight of my season. Right there. That was it. Because against the Eagles, I can't tell you. I, I don't, five, six players, several starters got injured. It's like everybody was getting injured. I think fans got injured in that game. I got injured. Lori had to cart me out, you know, and from the living room to the bedroom, you know. It was horrible. And from there, the season has just been a train wreck. And already we're talking about, well, you know, we're going to have a good draft position. So there's that. Chicago sports fan. Now, on the other hand, let me tell you, Ryan got excited about the Chicago Cubs this year. My son, Ryan. And as a dad, I have to tell you that being trained as a Chicago sports fan, I tried to to help my son. I tried to prepare him for the blow that was coming. I did. This is true story. He was like, Dad, we got the the players. Dad, we, we really are. We are the best team in baseball. We are going to win the World Series. I'm like, oh, son, son. And like the seasoned Chicago sports fan that I am, trying to protect my boy, his tender innocence, his hopeful innocence. I, I wanted to protect him from the, you know, obvious impending doom that was coming. I said, son, we're going to do great, and we're going to get into the postseason, and it's going to look great, and then one day we're going to wake up and just remember, oh yeah, we're the Cubs. <laughs> and we're going to do what we always do, and we're going to say what we always say, there's always next year. But as you know, something happened, something strange, something miraculous, something that can only be described as a Christmas miracle before Christmas. The Cubs won the World Series. I woke up the next day, really, it was, it's, I'm kidding, but almost not. Because it's a little disorienting, or disorienting for a Cubs fan. Like, what do you do in a world where you don't go, well, you know, there's always next year. And it's like, no, no, it's, there's this year, it's right now, we won the World Series. And it's like everything that you, you, it's like the whole earth has shifted. The Cubs are not the lovable losers. They just won the World Series. And it says hope's a funny thing. Expectations kind of, it messes with you. It really does. It messes with your head. It's a strange and a powerful thing. And I'm glad my son hung on to hope. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1 because I want us to talk about hope this morning. And I'm going to present you Jeremiah as a prophet of hope. Now, some of you might go, wait a minute. If you know the scripture, like, wait a minute, isn't Jeremiah the weeping prophet? Well, we're going to see yes, but he also is a prophet of hope. In fact, in the beginning of Jeremiah chapter 1, he's a young man, uh, maybe even junior high age. We're told, beginning uh, chapter 1, verse 4, that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That's a powerful promise. It's one of those things that we look at that scripture, and that's why we're so unapologetically pro-life. We believe life begins at conception. And what God is saying is here is that's absolutely true. But not only does life begin at conception, God's design and his plan was even before that. He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I I knew you. And I had a plan for you. I had a destiny for you. Do you ever stop and think that God knows you that intimately? That before you were even created... He said, I have a place for you. I have an assignment for you. I have things that I've called you to. And then when you were being formed in your mother's womb, God said, this one's mine. And I have things that I plan for them and I intend for them. That's powerful. And that's what Jeremiah experienced. So he actually does become a prophet to the nations. Fast forward 40 years later. He's a spiritual leader. He's been a prophet, but this nation is in crisis. It's 587 BC, the king of Babylon has surrounded Jerusalem. Now, Jeremiah has been prophesying. He's been saying over and over, you've got to turn back to the Lord. The people of God had, for generations now, turned their back on God. They'd ignored him. And Jeremiah is saying, you must listen for the voice of the Lord. You must respond. But they don't. And so the judgment that had been promised is now at the gates. 580 C, the king of Babylon has surrounded Jerusalem. The people are, have been under siege and they, it is, they are on the brink of starvation. King Zedekiah has refused to submit to the Lord's leadership, refused to listen. And he's actually trying to rebel and fight on his own strength. And Jeremiah is like, you're not listening. You're not listening. And we see one of the problems that the king's experiencing is he's getting bad advice from false prophets and from false priests. Jeremiah 6 13 and 14 says, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly or superficially, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. You see, what Jeremiah is telling us is there's hope and then there's false hope. Okay, There's hope and then there's false hope. Okay, I, as a Bears fan, got sucked in by some false hope for this season. Okay? And that doesn't mean there's nothing, no such thing as real hope, but there is clearly false hope. And he's saying, King, you're listening to the wrong people. You're listening to these false prophets who are going, oh, no, no, everything's fine. It's all positive. It's all good. It's all positive. He's like, you think this is a military problem? No, it's not. It's a spiritual problem. He's saying, you think this is a political problem? No, it's not. It's a spiritual problem. You think it's economic? No, it's not. It's a spiritual problem. And the king, instead of listening to Jeremiah, chooses to listen to the more, quote, positive report of the false prophets and has Jeremiah thrown in prison. I just want to stop here and pause and say, you know, we live in a world that loves positive, don't we? It's it's funny. Because on one hand, there's so much negative, so much stuff that goes out, but then we claim to, to just, want, just want positive. I don't want to hear judgment. I don't want to hear any condemnation. I just, I just want positive messages. I said, beware, I want to say to you, beware positive messages from leaders or preachers that don't involve actual change. They don't involve things like repentance. They don't involve things like surrender to God's purposes, surrender to God's leadership. Because if they don't, then they're just kind of feel good. And I just want to say, that's not God's primary desire. 
So from prison, Jeremiah declares the coming judgment and the destruction, okay? Continues what he's been doing. But interestingly, he also writes, flip over to chapter 30, because chapter 30 through 33 has been called by some the book of consolation or the book of hope. Kind of within this prophecy that's pretty dark in a lot of what it proclaims, there's this kind of light of consolation and hope, chapters 30 through 33. Let me read you a little bit from chapter 30. The days are coming, this is verse beginning at verse 3, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. These are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we've heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. And now, and ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? It's like we talked about labor with no baby. <coughs> Alas, the day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. There is that message of hope. Yes, it is a dark time. It is a time of distress, but he will be saved. There is hope. Verse 8, and it'll come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck. I will burst your bonds. And foreigners shall no more make a servant of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Wait a minute, this is long after David had gone to his grave. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid, for I am with you. To save you, declares the Lord, I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. In other words, what Jeremiah is saying is this is discipline, not destruction. This is discipline, not destruction. I want you to stop and think about that, because sometimes I think we get into places where it feels like I'm facing this. It feels like God doesn't hear my prayer here. It feels like I'm having to wrestle with this issue that I don't see anybody else having to wrestle with. I've got all this stuff going on. And so it feels like God's abandoned me. Maybe it's not true. Maybe this whole, all this talk of hope is just delusion. And Jeremiah's saying, no, no, no. It's not destruction. It's discipline. See, here's the reality. God's purpose is always for good in our life. We love that scripture, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We love that passage of scripture. And I just want to say it is absolutely true every single time. That being said, it is often misapplied, misinterpreted. All things work together good. Oh, that means I won't have to walk through anything hard. That means I won't, God won't ever kind of let me experience the fruit or the consequence of my decisions. Or there will never be any discipline. That's not at all true. What it does mean is if God does allow us to walk through consequences, if there are difficult things we have to walk through, if there's even discipline in our lives, it is always because God wants to bring something good, something better. God has a destiny and a purpose that he called us to, and there is always hope in him. And that's a different way of thinking, I think, for a lot of people. We think if something's hard, therefore God can't be in it. And I'm just like, I don't know what copy of scriptures you get that out of. But I'd love to see it be interesting. Because it's not the one that God gave us. This whole passage that we just read begins with this idea, the days are coming. The days are coming when I will bring 
my people from captivity. In other words, better days are coming. Hope, it won't always be like this. I just want to say, Jeremiah's hope was in no way a denial of the truth, and neither is ours. But it was rather a proclamation of the whole truth. Proclamation of the whole truth. He knew that truth based on hope, or that truth-based hope, I'm sorry, could radically impact the outcome of his people's current situation. I just want to say, truth-based hope is the same for every one of us. It is an absolute gift of the Lord. And I want to challenge you to seek and embrace truth-based hope because it really does change us. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the main point. Hope alters your vision of the future, which transforms your approach to today. Hope alters your vision of the future, which transforms your approach to today. Now, it may seem kind of obvious. I mean, think about it. If I, if I have enough hope to believe I could get an A on an exam, I'm going to study, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to go for it. If it's hopeless, if I'm so far behind, I haven't gone to class, I haven't read the reading, and there's no hope, well, then I might check out. If I have enough hope to think I could really get the upcoming promotion, that I'm qualified, that I'm the right person, that I actually stand a chance, well, I'm going to work harder to show that I'm up for it. I'm going to look for additional opportunities to show what I've got, to show who I am. I'm going to go for it. It's going to change my behavior. But if it's hopeless, if there's no hope, well, then I may very well check out. So the question that I want us to address is, what are your expectations for the future? We live in a world with all kinds of different expectations. We hear different quarters of our culture and even in our own circles. And the expectations are kind of all over the place. What are your expectations for the future? What does hope say to you? Because I really believe it matters. Of all people, we've got to be people of hope. We've got to be people who have hope. We've got to be people who speak hope. We've got to be people who live hope. I don't care what anybody else around says about it. We have got to be people of hope because of all people, we have reason to hope. Hope is powerful. Remember what Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 13? Three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But when you stop and think about it, love, God is love. You talk about faith, by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God. And then he includes hope. Hope's one of those big three that will remain. We have got to be people of hope. Now, a couple observations about hope for us just to think about. One, hope is always rooted in a promise. Okay? You're not going to have hope if you don't have some basis, some foundation. Yes, there, is, there can be just blind optimism, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about true hope that is rooted in a promise. And that's what Jeremiah brought to God's people. Yes, things are hard. Yes, there are things that are dark. Yes, you're going to go through some consequences. You're even going to experience some judgment. But God hasn't forgotten. God's with you. God promises to bring, bring hope. In fact, it was Jeremiah who brought one of the great promises that we quote a lot. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. These are promises that God's given. Hope is rooted in promises. God promises to deliver. I I just want to address the idea that sometimes I think people think our hope is is rooted in blind faith. I hate that phrase. I don't don't think that's an accurate phrase. I do think you, you accept the Lord on faith. But I don't think it's blind faith. I think it's a type of vision. I think it's a type of understanding. And let me tell you, when you begin to follow the Lord and you begin to experience walking with him, your faith continues to be built and your hope continues to be built. It's not blind faith. Our hope, there's two things. It's, It's what did God say? What did he promise? And 
Is he up to it? Can he deliver? Those are the two questions you got to address. What did God say? And can he deliver? And as you walk through, as you walk through life with him, as you test him, as you step out in faith and walk in the promises of God and you experience his presence and his blessing, you begin to become a voice and you become a cheerleader for the fact that yes, God can deliver. Our hope isn't blind. It's based on who God is and what he's done. Tell you, my hope is not simply based on, well, I, you know, kind of 50, 50, I guess it's better than gloom. My hope is based on who I know God to be, what his word has said, and what I've seen him do. So we think about some of the promises of God. I love this one, Acts 3.19. Repent then, turn to God so your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. In Jesus we have forgiveness. In Jesus we have freedom. And I love that phrase, times of refreshing. Could you use some refreshing of spirit? Could you use some renewal and refreshing in your mind and your heart all kinds of things god promised he said i'll never leave you or forsake you he said i will provide for you he says he says father knows what you need before you ask do you trust these promises do you really and i know theologically we say well of course yes why would i be sitting in church if i didn't believe the promises of god i'd be out enjoying the beautiful weather by the way way to go you guys for coming out today god bless you some of your faint-hearted friends are at home like it's raining what do we do I'm glad you're here. The question is, is he trustworthy? I mean, I know theologically we claim, we profess to believe, but the question is, what does my behavior say? Because there were people among Jeremiah's contemporaries who claimed to believe in God, but their behavior and their decisions said something different. The problem is they forgot about God. And I'm afraid we can get forgetful if we're not careful. See, they forgot about Abraham. They forgot about what God did through Abraham. They forgot about Moses, how God delivered his people from Egypt. They forgot about King David and what God did through him. They forgot about Solomon. And they desperately needed to remember. I want to challenge us. I think this time of year, we above all people should celebrate. You know, I know it's kind of popular to buy a humbug Christmas, and there is lots of commercialism, lots of stress, lots of stuff that's been tagged on. I, I want to encourage you, don't buy into any of that. Just say no. Just say no. But don't say no to celebrating the coming of Christ. Don't say no to celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. I remember not just as a kid, but even when I was starting out in ministry, I, I always saw Christmas as an opportunity because I think people would slow down, even people who weren't believers, and as they sang the carol, Silent Night, Joy to the World, O Come All You Faithful, there would be this sense of kind of looking up a little bit. Even if they weren't believers, and even if it didn't change things long term, there was a season where people would stop and kind of look up a little bit and think, you know, maybe, maybe. And I'm sad to say the kind of aggressive, militant secularization that has happened. And, and I think the intimidation that we as followers of Jesus Christ have accepted in our culture, I think some of that has actually pushed that back to where I don't feel the same way anymore. It feels different. I read a study the other day that says 90% of Americans still celebrate Christmas. And that's significant. Not all of them celebrate it religiously. Probably 50-50 on that. But they celebrate Christmas, as we understand, as a tradition and part of the culture. Okay? And then the rest celebrate it as a religious celebration like we would. 
It's funny, if you read the news, if you kind of looked at just pop culture, you would think, well, that's not true. Christmas is basically kind of marginalized. And in fact, Lori the other day was calling about some event that was going to happen. She said, well, the, the house is going to have Christmas lights on. And the lady got a little bit kind of reproving and rebuking. Well, you know, not everybody celebrates Christmas. I don't mean to be mean, but you know, you got to be, you got to know, not everybody celebrates Christmas. And so, well, we know, you know. I know not everybody celebrates Christmas, but the, the fact is Pew Research did, did a study and said 90% of people still do. And yet it feels like the secularization has kind of, kind of beaten some of the spirit out of the observance. And what, what I want to say is I could sit and lament and moan about that, okay? That doesn't do a lot of good, okay? What I want to say is don't let anything beat the spirit of hope out of us. Don't let anything stop us from using this occasion or whatever occasion to stop and say, man, we have a God and he is good. And because of him, we have hope. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Radio for Real Life. And if you'd like to hear this full message called Finding Hope or this whole series called Expectations, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, with service times on Saturday nights at 5 and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Radio for Real Life is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.